don't you realize that God is telling you he wants you here and that he wants a relationship with you? And that blew my mind and stayed with me, stays with me, always. I'm Tanya, and you're listening to Season 2 of Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored in honor of Rifki Rappaport, who is actually the woman who is interviewed on today's episode, and it's dedicated by her cousins, who say that they are her biggest fans. They heard that Rifki was being interviewed for the podcast, and they reached out and asked if they could sponsor her episode. So, Rifki. Your cousins love you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you for making today's episode happen. To sponsor an episode or become a paying subscriber of the podcast on Patreon, please visit the link in the show notes, patreon.com slash humanandholy, or email us at humanandholy at gmail.com. In today's episode, I bring you a tremendous story from Rifki Rappaport, a woman who has so graciously opened her heart to share her journey throughout the years, in sickness and in health. She shares the teachings from Torah that have allowed her to lean into God's blessings even when it was challenging, and in doing so, create a vessel for more goodness in her life. My name is Rifki Rappaport, and I'm from Toronto, Canada. I am an enthusiast, a quite fierce enthusiast for all things design and style, and I currently design and style interior spaces. I'm an Orthodox Jewish woman, and I'm lucky enough to be born and raised with the Chabad Hasidic lens on life and perspective on the world we live in. Okay, awesome. I'm excited. First of all, you are 100% an artist, which is something that really comes through in everything that you do, your own personal style, your design spaces, like you have that artist soul. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey in life up until this point? Give us some context about what you've done, what you've experienced, where you've been, and we'll sort of explore the concepts through that lens. Absolutely. So just a disclaimer, I've not really shared this or notes of this, of my story publicly. So bear with me. I hope I'm cohesive, coherent, <laughs> making sense and not emotional or anything. So when I was 14, we'll start there. I was two weeks into high school, just started ninth grade, and I developed stomach bug symptoms. After two weeks, it wasn't going away. Went to my doctor. He couldn't diagnose me or really help me. So I was sent to a specialist, a pediatric gastroenterologist, ran some tests and was diagnosed with Crohn's colitis. So really for the next six years and all through formative teenage years, I tried to create some sort of normalcy in my life and just to try and be like everyone else. Meanwhile, I was really, really thin. I was undernourished, weighed like 95 pounds, was in a lot of pain. 
Um, running to the washroom like 50 times a day. It was really hard to live a normal life. And I was hospitalized twice in high school. I really didn't show up much because I couldn't. I wasn't well enough to be there. I would come and go like a few hours a day. And that's really how it went from 14 to 18. At the year after high school, I got to go to Israel for a gap seminary year, which up until then was pretty much the best year of my life because I got to spend time with other girls, be like other girls, feel a little bit like everyone else and not isolated in my own experience, in my own struggle. It was still really hard to be abroad and dealing with all of those things and really having no energy. Like I I was really not living a life that was pretty much existing. Came back to Toronto after my year in Israel. Had a couple part-time jobs because that's really all I was able to keep. And when I was 20... I remember it was two weeks before my brother's wedding. It was around May, June, and I really wasn't doing well. I thought I was just like really dehydrated. My symptoms had been like a little bit worse recently. I just have to say that in this time, we tried everything, every medical cure, every natural and holistic angle. There was just like no stone unturned. I could probably write like a book or some sort of comedy screen. Wow. I don't know about like the different, like, million different things that we tried, but really, ultimately, nothing helped enough. So I cut to 20 years old again in the spring, and I'm feeling dehydrated, like we have to go into a merge, we'll just get fluids and come back home again, like it's two weeks before my brother's wedding, there's like a lot going on, there's like excitement in the air. So when I get there, they were like, you're not leaving, this is serious. I was admitted, I actually was put on a geriatric floor with heart monitors because my body was so undernourished and so unstable, like I needed to be monitored really closely. And I was set to have surgery. I was adamant about going to my brother's wedding and I didn't want to be there. And you know how it is when you're 20 years old. And I actually had a doctor who was Jewish and he was telling me like, you got to look out for yourself. Like it says in the Torah, and Martin, I wouldn't have to say it, like giving me a dose wow. of They also were like, if you're leaving here, you're not coming back. This is really serious. I developed blood clots. And if I flew to the wedding, it could be fatal. It was a serious time. A couple of days before my surgery, one of my doctors decided to run a couple extra tests. And at that time, miraculously, he did. Because at that point, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. So my my surgery became emergency surgery and had to stay in the hospital a little bit longer, had to recover a little bit and then start 12 rounds of chemo. So I'd lost my hair. I had to wear a wig. And in that time, I actually began to regain my strength. Like most people go through chemo and are living on smoothies and barely surviving. And I actually became finally healthy and started to gain weight and, and to live a little bit. I got to go back to Israel to study again more fully because I couldn't really get into it before when I was ill. I got to do that. I came back. I went to school. I studied interior design. And here I am about almost 10 years later. And thank God, really healthy and quite a different person. That's my story. Gosh, I can't believe I just shared that. (laughs) A private person. And we'll get into why I think it's so important and why I'm sharing it now. 
first of all, I cannot even imagine that you were experiencing this when you were 14, from 14 to 20, facing something that most teenagers don't have to face, just simply your mortality, and also just facing your daily physical challenges that were preventing you from being able to enjoy your teenage years, your year in Israel, et cetera. What is it, you mentioned this 10 years later, what is it that is causing you to share this story now? as a full-fledged adult so many years after you've really experienced it? I think that for so long, so much of the story was tied up in this massive secret and this big, almost shame. And like, if someone found this out about me, I would be seen differently or would have a disadvantage in life, have lesser opportunities, or which mom would want their son to marry me or something like that. There's a very fear-based and scarce mindset that... I came to realize was attached with all of this. And I think a lot of people in life can relate to that. Like there's something in their journey that they just feel is holding them back or leaves them again at like at a disadvantage. And it's a detrimental mindset. It's unhealthy. And on the other side of the scarcity and the fear is is abundance. And what if and the possibility and the fact that the road that I've walked and the journey that I've been on ultimately, and I say I, but it's for everyone, enhances who we are and what we have to give back. And, you know, someone that doesn't embrace that or appreciate that about us is not our person or just like, that's okay. But for us, this is something we have to own and it's empowering. And also, I think another big thing is that God doesn't hand us a challenge in life and then say, you're on your own, leave you high and dry. There's always the answer. There's the anecdote. God helps you if you're willing to put one step in front of the other and find the solution for your question. Would you say that the motivation to keep it private was because you saw it as a disadvantage or because you were afraid other people might see it as a disadvantage? Well, first of all, I, like I said, I'm an intensely private person. So for someone, this is my story. And it's a combination. I think the surprise in general, you think something about yourself, but you're also ingesting or you're absorbing what you think other people are projecting on you. And in life, we see things as we are. We don't see, there's no fact or truth, it's perspective. And so I for sure felt like, oh my goodness, I'm less than or I'm damaged in a way by what, I, what I've experienced. But also being concerned that other people would see me differently or think that ultimately other people's concerns are none of my business or other people's, what other people think about me is none of my business. But it's probably a combination of both. It's so wild to me, Rafi, that while you're experiencing this life threatening challenge that's completely wrecking your teenage years, technically, the way that you would expect them to be. I think this is something that so many people experience is that while enduring such strong human challenges, a huge portion of the pain is devoted to the shame and the self-concept that comes along with it, which is something that we don't usually consider when we see someone going through something that we consider physical suffering. I don't know if we necessarily stop to think about the emotional turmoil that it really puts you in. So I'm wondering, now you speak about sort of where you are right now, which is you are 10 years past this experience and you're obviously in a completely different headspace. If you could go back to that place for a minute, how did you approach your perspective 
at that time? Was it something that you proactively tried to guide or was it something that you felt you were just riding the waves with? So with regards to the time after my surgery and after my treatment, there was physical healing, but there was also a massive amount of emotional and mental healing that had to happen. And this experience left me really small, really anxious, um, in pain, not knowing who I was or what I wanted out of life. And healing in general starts in the heart and in the mind and the physical and spiritual aspects of our being, which is why also I'm such a champion of what you do here, because the human and the holy are so integrated, literally in every day, in every breath that we take. So as far as the mindset in getting through everything, I think I might have been gifted to start. Because to me, even while I was experiencing living hell, I never felt like this was the end. It was always I know deep in the core of my being, I'm going to be okay. This is going to be okay. This is a piece of my life, but I know everything is going to be okay. And there was definitely still anxieties. There was still fear. There was moments of what if in the worst possible way. But ultimately, at the core of it, I was so sure that this was not the end. I have a big, beautiful, full life ahead of me. And it's funny because I look back now, when I was going through chemo, had to go into the hospital for it, and I would come as if it was like Paris Fashion Week. I was dressed to go, <laughs> heels, full face of makeup, hair done. I would get such looks. Wow. But to me, it was just, I'm okay. I'm showing up in a way that proves to me and the world that I'm okay. And this is a piece of my life. I'm going to get through it. But it was just this all-encompassing, and I bring this example of my appearance because I always knew that I was going to get through this and it was going to be fine. That is so interesting. So I'm sure one part of it, obviously, is just like the love of getting dressed and wanting to treat this like this is my life, right? Do you feel like that's what it was? I think the biggest piece is more than, yes, I love to express my fashion, passion. It was more of a mindset. It was that the way I show up physically and the thoughts that I think are creating my feelings and creating my action. And in that way, I'm proving to myself and I'm also creating this reality of things are okay and they're going to be okay. Yeah, I think it was really more so creating this space of the life I wanted to have and having it now. And that would get me to having it fully, if that makes sense. So if you start your day in a really bad mood and you're upset, you're going to end up creating or seeing more things in your life to perpetuate that feeling. And I've said this for so long, but I actually came across this source for it, which is that we are partners with God in our creation and in creating our reality. It actually says it in Gemara. To me, that is so profound like not only are we creation but we're actually contribution so it's so important to be mindful of our mindset and the way we look at things and also the kind of preconceived or the self-imposed stories and beliefs that we have because that informs how we're feeling and how we're going about our day and our life it says in 
And then it goes on to say, an eye that see, and ears that hear, etc. And I believe it's the Altarebbe that says, if you switch the punctuation, you get know what is above, it's from you. Again, to that mm. fact of having an integral role in creating and bringing into our lives what we want in our reality. It's like a shadow. I think literally the Pheyamion brings that example. Like as a shadow moves, you see, if you have your arm up to the light, as you move your arm, the shadow is moving. And we really have the power to choose and create our reality. That visual of a shadow is so strong. Obviously, God guides our lives, but the idea that we really like welcome a certain energy into our life, like that example that you gave of showing up to chemotherapy dressed in a way that made you feel beautiful and happy and normal and healthy. You couldn't heal yourself in that moment, but you could show up for the life you want to have right now. And in doing so, create a normal in your life. I fully agree. I know I fully agree. I think that if we're dwelling on what we don't have in life, or the struggle in finding it, or the lack of, I feel like we're calling into our life more of that struggle and more of that lack. But if you find somewhere in your life that has the feelings that you're looking for, and you dwell on those feelings, then you bring what it is that you want into your life in those other areas. Like we can talk about dating. You're focusing on the struggle in finding your person or the lack of good people or whatever it is. You're perpetuating that in your experience. And if you find in your life where you do have love and where you do have security and all those good feelings, then you're calling into your life more of that If you're in a low feeling state, you can't get like level 10 into your life, level 100. You need to be in a place that is full of love, full of joy in in order to be having that in your life. The dating example is such a great example because when someone is seeking their soulmate, their person in life, they're seeking that love, that security. That's what they want. That's what they're looking for. They want to build that with someone else. And it's such a radical idea that it doesn't always happen in the way you think it's going to right now for you to be able to still access those emotions and feelings, which you're really speaking to that like in order for you to be able to enter that space, you have to first be really experiencing those emotions in your life right now. Because if you're operating out of that place of lack, then it's hard to secure it. But if you're operating from that place of love and from that place of security, then I think that you're able to make the vessel for it more easily because you know so intimately what it is and you already are experiencing it. So it's not coming out of that place of luck. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Making a Achilles like comes back to the idea of how personal growth is, I think to me, Torah and positive teaching are the fountainhead or like the motherboard for personal development, self-growth, all of that stuff. And um, you can see these concepts correlated over and over again. And it is so important, like you said, to make a key to create this vessel and this space for more of the good things that you want to come into your life. How do you do that? How have you done that in your life? So these concepts really, in a way, it's hard to explain because it's so intrinsic to who I am. I just have such a deep feeling of everything in life 
is going to work out in the best way for me. I think that, first of all, I want to talk about trust. We're believers and I just got to know God has your back. Our thoughts are creating our feelings and that's creating our reality. And to me, there's just this security, this trust and also surrender of, I know God has my back and I know it's going to be okay. And I also, I'm not powerless at all here. So like I said, I'm a partner. And so I envision and I affirm the type of experiences I want to have. And then I let go. And then I have to let go and let God. And I also try to really make sure that my headspace and my feeling is positive. And I think it's so beautiful that we start our day with Modani. The first thing that we do is say thank you for a new day and a new chance. What you appreciate appreciates and attitude of gratitude. But it's so important because you're bringing more things into your life to be grateful for. I love the tale of Maiden in Shimonese. I just feel like we ask and we ask and we ask, but we forget to think. There is so much to be grateful for every single day. I love that you're saying this because on the same line of thinking that you said before, when you thank Hashem for something, you essentially create the vessel for more of that in your life. Because when we're focusing so much on the lack, then it becomes hard to really create those emotions and those opportunities that we're seeking. So in a way, it doesn't always seem so intuitive. We think for the things that we do have, we create more space for the things that we want. I think sometimes because it comes with less of a pressure and more with an openness of how it will show up in your life. Absolutely. When you have a focus on what you don't have or what you're afraid of or the worst possible outcome of something or how everything can go wrong, you're just restricting yourself and you're also putting yourself in a heavy space. Wouldn't you want to choose a lighter, full of abundant possibility type of headspace where you literally create the possibility for the blessing, whatever it is you desire to come into your life? How are you experiencing this right now? We touched on your journey and how you really were living through that as teenager, young adult. And then now as a matured, developed adult, how are you experiencing these ideas? When I'm facing a new experience or even day to day, I am very intentional about the way I want my experiences to go. If I'm starting a new project, I will envision the type of people I want to work with, the type of experience I want to have, how I want it to feel, because we're feeling beings. It applies for everything. You're going to find that parking spot or you're going to go around the parking lot a hundred times because while you're running late until you get to find your parking spot or whatever it is, just this idea of security and surrender on the way that you want your life to be going, setting the intention for it and then letting go and not freaking out or, or trying to force things, but to create a very visual and emotional intention for how you want your life to be unfolding and then to trust that God has your back and the best thing for you is going to happen. I'd be so interested to hear you speak on this idea. What is the balance between creating your reality and trying to control your reality and believing that you have that control over your reality? 
So I am a recovering perfectionist, as I said. I expect a lot of myself. I expect a lot of my life. I want things to be just so, and it's probably a lot of therapy to be done there as far as where it stems from and you know, being out of control in other areas of my life early on. For me, a massive like, symptom of perfectionism, I guess, is procrastination. You want things to be a certain way, and so you're not even looking at it if it's not going to do that for you. If you're going to not even try or you're going to push it off, whatever it is. And I think God didn't create us as Siddiquim. We're not saints. We're not angels. If we're angels or perfect, then our job here is done. And Tanya explains the idea of a Benami, where there's someone who's every day with every moment and every action striving for little victories and betterment one step at a time. I think perfectionism is trying to force things versus saying that you've done your best and then you let go of the rest. You have to take the small victories one step at a time, and that leads to success. I actually love what you said just now because perfectionism is sort of this belief that we are absolutely in control of the outcome. And if I'm 100% in control of the outcome, then there is so much pressure to perform 100% every single time. But if I'm creating my reality together with God, then all I really have to do is show up, do my best, and the outcome is going to be good enough. And I can trust that the outcome is going to be actually not only good enough, but even better than I could have imagined Because sometimes in perfection, we limit the outcome because it needs to go a certain way. That if we allow ourselves to really be partners with God, then the perfectionism becomes less necessary because we know and we trust that that imperfect outcome that isn't the way that we may have thought it was going to be is going to be so much more beautiful. Yes, absolutely. It has to just be my effort and my best and this baby step. And that's good enough. And that's what it's going to be. Going back to your example of the Bainani, like the task that the Bainani is given is really to show up, to engage with God every day, no matter what, even when the Bainani is struggling. And just showing up to do your best, showing up for life, showing up to speak with God, showing up to be in a relationship with Him, that in and of itself can only happen when we're okay with not always having all our ducks in a row. So what advice would you give to me, to anyone in that situation where you don't feel ownership over your experience and you don't feel like you can create your reality with God? I think it's so powerful how you experience that in a space where it would be so hard to imagine that you could create your own reality there. In the small moments in life too, how can we really take ownership over our moments and our days so that we feel like we can be partners with Him? I think the most important thing is just to notice, to catch ourselves at where we're at, feeling and headspace-wise, and to come back to a good feeling and a good thought, to choose a different space. Maybe call it fake it till you make it, call it whatever you want, but the only thing that we really can control in life is our outlook and our effort, and always choose an outlook of joy, always choose an outlook of abundance and possibility. And I think it takes a choice. I'm not saying it's easy. God knows it's not. But life's not 
meant to be easy. Life is hard, life is messy, but life is so beautiful. We're not a victim of our life. We are, again, partners with God in creating a reality. And maybe things are not turning out perfect. And your life is not the way you envisioned. And you're getting tossed around a bit. But it's perfect for you. And if you trust that, and if you come back to that over and over again and feel that in your bones, you start to see it. Because the more you see it, the more you focus on it, it's a snowball. Then it comes back to you even more. Beautiful. I love that. You will always choose an outlook of joy and possibility, no matter what life brings you. And it's true. It's the only part of our lives that we really can guide and that we could choose to live in. And our outlook is it's not always necessarily that there's actually a change in reality, but it creates the reality that we live in. Like If you are experiencing something challenging, but you're also experiencing joy, yes, it's messy and yes, it's hard. But as you said, it's still also going to be beautiful. And there's only that possibility of beauty if you choose that outlook of joy. Should I finish with okay, a one story? Off. I just want to share this because I think it's so powerful. When I was 19, I was in LA. I was at a bagel shop and there was an off time. It was two in the afternoon, so there was, wasn't really anyone else there. I was there with a family member. And we sat down at the window seat for lunch and we were chatting. And all of a sudden, an elderly woman drove through the restaurant, through the window at us. And the person I was with was able to kind of like shoot back and wasn't hit by the car, but I was. And like the car came through the window and it hit me and I was kind of pushed to the back of the cafe. It was was an ordeal. (laughs) Miraculously, literally, I had some cuts and bruises, but I was was okay. And I remember after this happened, I was speaking to my sister, who she's just brilliant in the most simple way and she said to me don't you realize that god is telling you he wants you here and that he wants a relationship with you and that blew my mind and stayed with me stays with me always god wants you here you can be struggling in pain and not everything going your way but your purpose is not in your pain the purpose is for you to create an armor and a rule book that now shows you the way forward. And God wants a relationship with you. You have a purpose here. And there is beauty and an infinite and abundant life accessible to you. And you just have to tap into it and choose it. You have to choose it. Wow. Sometimes it takes facing that mortality to recognize that God actively chooses to have us in this world. Gorgeous. Like, over and over again. It's like, okay, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Rifki, every day God is enlivening your body and saying, I want you here. I want you here. Yeah. Wild. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. For a while, I had to take follow up tests after chemo to make sure that, you know, I was healthy and only healing and even wasn't coming back. And I had this one moment where I was driving to a test and feeling anxious about it trying to come back to trust and knowing that everything would be okay. And of course it was because everything is always going to be okay. And on the way back, just feeling so guilty. Firstly, why the hell was I worrying? I my friend. And also, I am so gifted with my health right now and the possibilities that each new day brings. What am I doing with it? I literally felt like, how am I using this? Like, am I wasting this? 
there's so much that I need to do. And I really choose to share all this now because I think that I always knew that A, it was going to be okay, and B, I needed to use my story to inspire other people. And so if anything I said today spoke to you, then my job is done or it's just beginning. That's good. That's great. Really good. Thank you, Tanya. Focusing on our blessings does not take away our hardships, but without gratitude, the blessings that we do have can slip out of our awareness. Here is what struck me about Rifki's journey, the way in which she experiences her blessings. Even as a young teenager, experiencing life-threatening illness, now she is vibrant, alive, seizing the day, welcomes joy and purpose into her every moment. If God breathed life into you this morning, doesn't that tell you something about your purpose in this world? Through celebrating the blessings God gives us, we allow ourselves to experience them more deeply, to enjoy the life we do have in all its beauty and opportunity. And yes, also with all its imperfections. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha mechaberet nishmati tamidinecha mechaber mechaber. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at humanandholy or via email at humanandholy at gmail.com. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>